0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I want to share a message with you entitled Substance Versus Forms. The Lord is preparing a people to be a people of His presence. A people known for one thing, and that's Him. So I want to draw a line between substance the substance of the gospel, the substance of everything that Jesus came for, and forms, meaning methods and traditions uh, and religion minus substance, just the forms. I wanna help us discern or distinguish between those two things. The substance, the man, Jesus Christ himself, his power, his love, and what that means, For our lives, Monday through Saturday, not just Sundays, but Monday through Saturday. That's what he gave his life for. And what we're all familiar with and oftentimes is what we think of when we think of Christianity and what we think of when we think of church. It's the motions and the methods of religion. It's traditions, cultural Christianity that are sometimes, not always, but sometimes void of actual relevant power. Think of, our, think of the, the difficulties of our life Monday through Saturday. The strains and the stress, the financial needs, like the dire situations, the strains on marriages, the pulling our hair out, trying to raise our kids, the world in chaos. The answer for that is a relevant message of power and love that Jesus came to usher in 2,000 years ago. So there's a relevant power within the gospel In the forms themselves within Christianity and religion don't always have that. Sometimes they're, they're void of that relevant power. But the world, I believe, is desperate for substance. I believe every young person right now in our generation struggling to know who they are, they need the substance of the gospel, the person Jesus Christ. They don't need forms, dead forms, and traditions and religious exteriors. Every addict struggling, like literally living day to day, like if they can make it one day, it's, it's, it's good. They need substance. They need the substance of the power of God to invade their life and to set them free. Every person struggling with a mental affliction, they need a peace that actually can invade their bedroom and calm the storm. That's what I'm talking about, relevant power. Last Sunday night, uh, we had a high school student, a, a junior from Gilbert High School join us who really needed a touch from God. And she just got rocked by the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. These, this generation, specifically of young people, who are, they're looking for something of a substantial power, of relevant power to their lives in which they feel like are in chaos. And we have it. And that's not just for young people, that's for for all ages. And so the church is meant to be this, this place where the substance of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ so lives so vividly and so tangibly that it transforms lives but oftentimes we cling to forms and methods and ways of going about church life that over time we lose sight of the substance and the the actual relevant power. I don't know if there's any wives in this place who have a similar struggle as my wife, but um, sometimes men, we have this like nostalgic, I don't even know what it is, but this desire to hang on to old clothes and T-shirts that um, have long surpassed their life. And I remember a couple of years ago, I had this old baseball tee. It was a three-quarters sleeve baseball tee that my dad gave me. Uh, I wore it my, during high school football. I hung on to it. And it's not like every time I put it on, I was reliving the glory days, but there's something about my Saturday afternoons. I put that shirt on. I just felt like today's gonna be a good day. Uh, and I continued to hang on to this shirt for, for years and years, to the point that like the, the, the seam on the collar was starting to tear. The side seam was starting to tear. In fact, the, the shirt had grown so worn, it was white with blue three-quarter sleeves. But the, the, the shirt itself was starting to wear so thin, it was pretty much see-through. And so, if you think of the, the function of that shirt, it was meant to clothe my body. And it wasn't even fulfilling that, that function for which it was designed, the purpose of that shirt. I mean, that sounds like a silly illustration, but the, but the church... We should be laughing at ourselves sometimes as to the, the, lengths, the lengths that we go to, to to hold on to certain forms and methods and traditions that have long surpassed maybe their, 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 um, their, their purpose and their function, their, their life, but oftentimes are completely void of the purpose for which they were designed to point us to. I want us to be a church that yes, leans into certain forms of the Lord, because we do need forms. Forms is what gives us order and direction and and marching orders of sorts. But that our forms would always still, with certain conviction, with a really resolute, tenacious conviction, cling to the very substance that they they were meant to hold. So let's look at Mark chapter two. This is... A story where Jesus calls out that very thing. He calls out forms over substance and points to the the very substance of those forms himself. We're going to start reading in verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. I mean, this was... Common in Jesus' day that the Jews would fast twice a week, so they would have their, their days for fasting. Uh, and these weren't 24-hour fasts; these were generally twelve, like uh, sun up to sundown sorts of fasts, a 12-hour fast. But they were a big deal in anticipation for who? For Messiah. I mean, that, that's what it was supposed to do uh, in in, Jer- in Jerusalem, in Israel. It was meant to point uh, the people's hearts to to long for the Messiah. So they were fasting. It says, and people, came, um, sorry, and people came and said to him, to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So he, he states that um, rhetorical question and then says that statement. Can the wedding guests fast while while the bridegroom is with them? Referring to himself. Like we, you guys are, your eyes are not recognized in the season in which you are living. The bridegroom is in your midst. Why would they be fasting? Verse 20, the days will come though when when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. There will be a purpose in that form in the days to come. But you guys aren't getting it. The form has no point if the bridegroom is in your midst. Verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. So he goes then into two parables. He's talking in a lot of imagery and a lot of um, vivid language, talking about Bridegrooms and the sons of the bride chamber. That's what the the actual original language is referring to. But then he starts to talk about cloths and new garments and wineskins and old wine and starts talking about a lot of things that, honestly, for us as 21st century just humans, have a hard time understanding. But I want to press into this this morning. John's disciples and just the people of Jesus' day, they were concerned about the form rather than the substance. And, and this is not to speak down on them because we are much the same. That's why this is such an important message for us. We oftentimes first through, see through the lens of forms. So the key is to recognize the substance of those forms and ask the question, why are we doing what we're doing? Do we know why we are praying or reading our scripture or reading or worshiping or singing these songs on a screen, do we know why we are fasting to use this example here in Mark chapter two? But Jesus points to himself unapologetically. He points to himself as the substance of these things, of these forms. This form of fasting is to point to somebody this bridegroom, this Messiah, this one who's coming back for his bride, for Israel, for his bride, what will be the church. And the bridegroom, he's saying, is standing right in front of them. Why are you guys talking about fasting? Why are you thinking about, you know, um, like this mourning and grieving and longing when I'm right in front of you? Are you gonna open up your eyes and recognize the substance standing right in front of you? So the gospel always glorifies substance over the form. We like to magnify or exalt forms over substance, but the gospel always glorifies substance over the forms. Dead religion glorifies form over substance. Jesus calls us out again later, just a few verses later in Mark chapter three, there's the story of Jesus purposefully walking into a synagogue on Sabbath, and healing a man with a withered hand and he does it to make a point he could have done it in hiding but they had this infatuation with the form of sabbath but sabbath served a purpose god gave sabbath to israel to point them to one to their to their rest their perfect rest in the person of jesus christ and they had so obsessed over the form that they missed the substance in their midst and Jesus walks into the synagogue on Sabbath and he heals a man with a withered hand. To prove that point, point. and you should go on and read it, in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus was angry. He was angry and he was grieved as their hearts were revealed. There's this passion that Jesus has for his people to be about the substance of the message, for which he came to bring to this world. And so I'm hungry for nothing else than the substance of the kingdom himself, Jesus. I don't want mere forms. I don't want to be amongst the ones that Paul says will be common in these last days. Those who have a form of godliness, but who who deny its power. So it's interesting that, you know, John's disciples, that's what he, this is in reference to John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were ones who would fast twice a week. That's what these people are coming to Jesus and asking about. Wouldn't it be really interesting if John's disciples, these ones who were literally part of this ministry are preparing the way for the Messiah, if they missed the very substance of the ones they were preparing the way for? But how often in our, I wonder, I just wonder how often in our churches we have people who, are, who don't even understand, of what this, uh, uh, don't understand the substance of what church is, is for what it's all about. But we go through the motions and we jump through the hoops and we go through the forms and the methods. Missing the one to whom we're supposed to be hosting and who it's all about, it's all centered around him. So then he goes on to share these two parables. He, he talks about incompatible cloth. There was this old, it's already been stretched, with holes in it. Try to patch it with new cloth. It's already been stretched. Eventually, that new uh, new cloth, once it's washed, will, will stretch, stretch out and it'll make, make even more damage on the old garment. And then same with new wineskins and old wineskins. So what's he talking about? I believe on the highest level, Jesus is bringing our attention to the distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. There is this... this purpose, this function that the Old Testament, the first 39 books of, of our Bible, are pointing us towards, pointing us towards this substance, the man Jesus Christ. But I, I think it's actually a really, um, a clear picture of the purpose of the Old Covenant. It's like an old garment with holes in it. As you read through the 39, 39 uh, books of the Old Covenant, oftentimes we're scratching our heads. And it feels like there's holes in it just doesn't sit right. Why? Because it points to our need for the Lord. Like, wow, we are messed up. We are a broken humanity. That's what you get as you read through the 39 books of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They, they serve a purpose. They serve a value to point towards this one, this man, Jesus Christ. So there are holes in this old garment, the 39 books of the Old Covenant. There are holes in it. That's the point. There's supposed to be holes in it. And We try to patch it with the new covenant, it's actually gonna just tear open more. It's just gonna reveal our our desire to try to clean up our own lives, our desire to to fall into legalism, to have control over our own lives. So the sacrifices, the commandments, the festivals, they're all like an old garment with holes in them, revealing our need for a savior. So it serves a purpose. We don't throw out the Old Testament, it serves a purpose, to point to our need for a savior to point to a better covenant to come, to point to a savior who would come and redeem us and be the answer. The entire book of Hebrews actually says this very thing, that Jesus is the better covenant. Because the old covenant couldn't do it. That's the point. That's the point of the Old Testament. is we can't do it. We can't, we cannot clean up our own lives. So we need one who can. This is what Hebrews chapter eight says. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the old covenant he he mediates, or sorry, as the, the covenant he mediates, this new covenant, is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and he quotes the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And not with the house of Judah, not like, or sorry, and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor Each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So the Old Testament, the old garment with its holes and points us towards our need for a savior and this one who would come and give us a totally different way. Give us a, a new shirt to put on, a new garment to clothe us. And so people still get hung up on this today, today in the 21st century, we still do. People magnify the rules over the one who is meant to rule and reign in our hearts. He has come to usher in a covenant that writes the law of God onto our hearts. So transformation comes from the inside out. People that cling to the old covenant way are trying to be, these are individuals who are trying to be a good person in their own effort. They're trying to clean up their own lives rather than letting the king of kings come and rule and reign and allow, allow him to clean and transform them from the inside out. What about that other parable? This is this parable of an old wineskin filled with, you know, aged wine. He's coming in to usher in a new, a new era, a new covenant, a new age with fresh wine. If you pour that fresh wine into that old wineskin, it's gonna gonna burst. They're incompatible. That's not what he came to do. You can think of it like this. Think of the old covenant being this old wineskin and Jesus himself being the wine that fills that old wineskin to the brim. So when Jesus steps onto the scene, it's like that old wineskin is filled to the brim. Is that not what Jesus said? He said he didn't come to throw that away. He came to fulfill it. So think of that old wineskin being filled when Jesus comes. It is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the substance of the old wineskin. This is why we don't throw out the Old Testament. He has fulfilled that wineskin to the brim. This changes the way we now read our Bibles when we read the first 39 books of our Bible. Instead of allowing it to be so mystifying, we'll begin to see Jesus everywhere we look. We we begin to see Jesus being that one prophesied about that would come and crush the serpent's head. We see Jesus being the ark that saves Noah and his family from the wrath of God. We see Jesus being the blessing of Abraham to the nations. We see Jesus being the deliverer from slavery in Egypt. We see Jesus being the pillar of fire at night and the, the the cloud by day. We see Jesus as the branch. We see Jesus as the suffering servant. We see Jesus as the son of David and this this royal priesthood and on and on and on. Everywhere you look, all of a sudden now you look back at the first 39 books of your Bible and it's all in living color. It's like everywhere you look, you see Jesus. When you see him as the fulfillment, the wineskin has been filled when Jesus stepped onto the scene. And now, he ushered in a new wineskin. He 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 pointed us to this new way of life. It's people instead of a building. It's hearts instead of traditions. It's willful obedience instead of you know family obligation or national heritage. It's, It's worship in spirit and in truth instead of worship in temples. It's a whole new wineskin. And so we relish in the beauty of the fulfillment of the old. But we fully embrace this new way of life. The gospel is this radical message that says the kingdom of this king named Jesus is near. Just as we experience during worship, he's so near that he captures our attention, he saves our soul, he redeems us, he transforms us, and he sets us on fire. It's a gospel that is packed full of substance. For anyone who will come and drink. So what does this mean for us? It means the gospel cannot be an event that we attend. Instead, the gospel calls us into covenant family, it calls us into a tribe of Jesus people together for the sake of mission. It means the gospel cannot be spectated. The gospel calls for action because it's personal, because he's invaded our lives. And it means something. So we have to respond. There has to be obedience. The gospel isn't about gathering around celebrities. It's about gathering around the king. The gospel isn't just a matter of affiliation. It's about life transformation. The gospel cannot be about us gathering around our preferences. It has to be about gathering around his presence. And the gospel isn't cheap talk. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the Lord is calling us to recognize what forms need to go. There's some forms that need to go. I'm, I'll just say it like it is. There are some forms in the church that literally need to go. Like we need to, we need to have a similar party like we did with our mortgage and just tear it up and like say no more. There's other forms in the church that need to be reformed. That old word you know, from the Reformation. To, they need to be reformed or reformed. On the side of forms that need to go, there's there's no more room for attenders or consumers. Now we need to be disciples. There's no more room for egos. Now we need to be enthralled with the one who is worthy of all of our attention. There's no more room for legalism. Now we live as li- we live lives as laid down lovers, not wanting anything else than to please the one that we love. There's no more room for surface transformation. You know, religious masks that we all feel the temptation to to give into. Just put a smile on and fake it till we make it. We'll pretend and hope, hopefully no one will catch on. There's no more room for that in this life of the gospel. Now he wants to come and make his home in our hearts and transform us from the inside out. And honestly, I could go on and on and on. I'm sure of forms that need to be done away with, but there are some that need to be reformed. Prayer needs to be reformed. Now it's relationship with this one Spirit of God living in us, of course we would talk to this one who has invaded our life. Not through religious mumbo-jumbo and jargon, but I'm saying communicating your heart to your creator God. Scripture is being reformed in us, not as just words on a page, but as the very uh, bread of life that brings sustenance to our soul, that feeds our soul. Worship is being reformed, not as just singing some songs on a screen but as a very uh, place for the presence of God to habitate as we fix our attention on him. And fasting is being reformed as a lifestyle of ones who hunger and thirst for the things that matter most. Jesus says that if we put the new wine in old wineskins, they will burst. I think that sounds pretty messy. Both the wine is destroyed and the skins are too. I want to thank the Lord for His mercy on us. That He actually allows our eyes to recognize forms that need to be done away with. Because if, honestly, if He were to pour out His Spirit in the midst of a bunch of dead forms that we're clinging to, it would destroy us. Not just saying in our flesh, I mean, the presence of God would in its purest and highest forms. But, but I'm just saying, like, people would just scatter. Like, the, the, this community would just be uh, done away with if it wasn't for the Lord's mercy to gently, slowly over time, open our eyes and continue to purify us. I believe the Lord's been doing that in our hearts over the last couple of years, purifying our hearts. The Lord has been teaching me to be patient with his timing. It's his mercy that he doesn't give us everything that we ask for when we ask for it. Because oftentimes we couldn't handle it. So we are a community of Jesus people. I wanna just read you a quote from our friend, Bob Gladstone, who was with us a few weeks ago. But he said this, the, the, the new Jesus people are people. They're people. They're not ministry organizations, they're not events, they're not resources to support leaders. They are people, whole people who look like Jesus. They cannot be faked, manipulated digitally, or blurred together into large crowds. They are, actually human, they are actual human beings who are being fearfully and wonderfully developed by God's own hands in the light of his truth, the trials of life, and the assembly of the holy ones. So we, we wrote this prayer covenant that I want us to read as a church family before we go. And we will be dismissed. Um, could you put that up on the screen? I want to start to read these together. These are like a, an articulation of prayers the Lord has laid on our hearts over, honestly, a season since last April-ish uh, till now, articulating what we believe the Lord is doing in this, in this season. Uh, and I believe there's significance in unity. And that's why I believe actually writing out a prayer that we can pray together gives us an invitation to walk in greater unity in these days to come. So let's read these together. Let's start with this first one. King Jesus, we want to live life with you. Therefore, give us a growing hunger for your presence and an ever-increasing openness to the ways in which you choose to display your presence. Let's read that second one. King Jesus, we want to live life led by you. Therefore, give us humility to look to your word to define truth in how we should live. And King Jesus, we want to live life for you. Therefore, today, we choose gratitude and worship. We choose a life of love, being generous with our time, treasure, and talents. And lastly, Let's read this fourth one. King Jesus, we want to live life like you. Therefore, we will invite the next generation to encounter you. And with fresh boldness, we will invite the lost to know you personally. Amen, amen, amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.